Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Tara Saraman, and you're listening to World's Dumbest Criminals, an upbeat podcast about deadbeat crims. If you're keen to hear about the most ridiculous, bizarre, and downright stupid criminals and crime stories in the world ever, you've come to the right place. In today's episode, I'll be talking about the parents of a six-year-old boy who set out on an absurd vendetta against a school volunteer, even planting drugs in her car, because they thought she'd called their son slow. A Scottish man arrested for pot possession who livened up the monotony of his strip search with some pointed flatulence, and much more. Alrighty, let's get cracking. On February 17th, 2010, Jill Easter arrived a bit late at Plaza Vista School to pick up her six-year-old son from his after-school tennis lesson. Kelly Peters was a parent volunteer who ran the after-school activities program at Plaza Vista. She noticed the Easter's son had not been brought to the normal pickup location and was left outside waiting with his tennis coach in the back of the school for several minutes. When Jill asked Kelly where her son was, she replied, He didn't line up fast enough. Maybe he just walked slow. Officer Charles Shaver later commented, I believe Mrs. Peters said slow, like falling behind in line, and I think the Easters took it as if she was saying their son was being mentally slow. Jill Easter did not like the word slow being used in a sentence about her son. Despite having a degree from Berkeley School of Law, she did not seem to grasp that the word could be used to describe walking speed and instead jumped straight to being outraged and insulted. Or perhaps she's just one of those people who roam around grasping for a reason to be offended by anything because she doesn't feel alive unless she's angry. Either way, it flipped her bitch switch and Jill decided from this moment forth she was at war with Kelly and would do anything to bring down her newly sworn enemy, even if it meant destroying her own marriage and she and her husband's careers. According to the LA Times, Kelly wrote in her account to school officials, I apologised over and over, but it seems her apologies made no difference to butthurt Jill. Jill and her husband Kent were considered a power couple in their idyllic Orange County suburb of Irvine, which boasted beautiful parks, great schools and low crime rates. Kent had also studied law, graduating from UCLA. After they were married, Jill became a stay-at-home mother and self-published author of a sexy crime thriller, while Kent was an attorney in Newport Beach, earning a salary of over $400,000 a year. 
You'd think a successful, picture-perfect couple like the Easters wouldn't be willing to destroy their own lives over such a storm in a teacup. But Jill managed to convince her husband that Kelly had mortally insulted the precious fruit of their loins and they simply had to go nuclear on her ass. The next day, Jill contacted the school to lodge a complaint. She claimed that her son had been crying hysterically after being locked out of the school for 19 whole minutes. She demanded Kelly be fired from her volunteer position. Jill also wrote a letter to the school. ABC News reported that she handed it out to other parents in the parking lot. In it, she wrote of Kelly, She told me that she blames my son because he is slow and he often gets left behind because it's hard to wait for him. For the record, my son is very intelligent, mature and athletic. He is receiving good grades and has earned many awards this year. He is not mentally or physically slow by any standard. The letter also claimed that Kelly had purposefully left their son locked out of the school unsupervised, causing him to have panic attacks. The after-school program director interviewed the tennis coach who was with Jill's son that afternoon, as well as the boy. They concluded that nothing had happened to him and he'd only been left out the back for around five to eight minutes. After an investigation, the school found that Kelly was blameless. Principal Heather Phillips talked to Jill on the phone the week after the incident. Phillips had learned that Jill was trying to turn other parents against Kelly by passionately telling them her bullshit version of events and claiming that she didn't want other children scarred in such a harrowing way. Phillips told Jill that what she was doing could be construed as harassment and the school had a strict rule about that. Jill made sure the principal was clear that both she and her husband were attorneys. Phillips wrote, She stated that what she's doing isn't harassment, that she is fully within her rights and that she's going to continue until Kelly is gone. She also stated that she might be making a sticker or sign for her car stating what Kelly had done. Jesus, Jill needs a hobby, doesn't she? Have you thought about lawn bowls, Jill? What about bird watching? Kelly had been a volunteer at the school for years without incident and worried that her presence there had become detrimental for the school's reputation due to Jill's ridiculous vendetta. She offered to quit, but the principal refused to accept her resignation. Frustrated that she hadn't been able to bully the school into punishing Kelly for nothing, Jill contacted the Irvine police and insisted they do something about it, and she didn't let the truth stand in her way. Jill told the police she needed a restraining order against Kelly as she'd been harassing and stalking her and her six-year-old son and had threatened to kill her. Why she had so much sand in her vagina about this is a mystery for the ages. To this day, she has never given a viable explanation about what motivated her to salt the earth over such an innocuous exchange regarding her crotch fruit. The authorities recognised these claims to be made entirely out of shit and her lawsuit was laughed out of court. Deciding trying to ruin Kelly's life for no reason looked like some serious fun he didn't want to miss out on, Kent Easter charged into this pointless battle to stand up for his wife's delusions. 
Kent filed a civil suit against Kelly Peters, claiming that his son had been the victim of false imprisonment and intentional infliction of emotional distress. He said the boy had suffered extreme and severe mental anguish, and the acts of Defendant Peters were willful, wanton, malicious and oppressive, and justified the awarding of exemplary and punitive damages. This over-the-top pantomime of a lawsuit didn't go anywhere either. As the one-year anniversary of Kelly using the word slow approached, and she had not received the life-destroying punishment the Easters thought she deserved, they schemed up more outrageous ways to make her pay. Despite the fact that the Easters were lawyers, they decided to hell with the law and devised a devious plan to get Kelly fired from her volunteer position at the school. They procured 11 Percocet pills, 29 Vicodin pills, and a large bag of marijuana. On the night of February 15, 2011, they both went to Kelly's place and planted them in the pocket behind the driver's seat of her car. Automatic data checks on their mobile phones would later put them both at the scene of the crime. The next day at 1.15pm, Kent called 911 and told them that he'd seen Kelly driving erratically in the school parking lot and witnessed her putting pills in the pocket behind her seat. He gave them a fake phone number and claimed his name was Vijay Chandrasekhar because whenever white people report fake crimes, they say they themselves or the perpetrators are people of colour. I'm not sure why. Probably just because they're assholes. Let's have a listen to the 911 call, shall we? Irvine, please. Yes, uh, hi. Uh, I was calling uh, because uh, my daughter is a student at Plaza Vista Elementary School. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm concerned one of the, the parent volunteers there may be uh, under, under the influence or in, uh, using drugs. Uh, I, I was uh, just had to go over to the school and uh, I, was, uh, I saw a car driving very erratically. And uh, uh, as I was... It, it continued on into the into the parking lot of the school, and I was I was going there, and I I just had to look to see who it was and what was going on, and then uh, I, I, I saw them get out, and it, and it looked like they had some uh, something away in their car and uh, behind their their seat with some drugs, and I they, what they were did they all over the place, and then they went into the school, and I recognized that the woman is the parent volunteers for the after after school program, and I'm, I'm concerned that, uh, I, that there are drugs at the school. So you specifically saw her place something behind her seat? Yeah, it looked like she she had some uh, like like like, uh, uh, like like pills or something. Okay. What what is your name? My name is uh, Jay. Jay. Bj. Bj. And what's your last name? Uh, Chandra Sekar. How do you spell that? C H A N D R A. S-E-K-H-R. Okay. And what's your phone number where we can reach you? Uh, 949... Uh, and do you know this person's name? I, I believe... I think... I think her name is Kelly. Kelly? Yeah, and it's a, it's a white uh, PT cruiser. Oh, can't you stammering dickhead. Did you notice that he half-assed a bit of an Indian accent after he said his fake name? Dude, not cool. Officer Charles Shaver was sent to the school to investigate the call. 
He peered through the window of Kelly's PT Cruiser in the parking lot and could see the big bag of weed sticking out of the pocket behind her seat. He went inside and told Kelly about the 911 call. Stunned, she accompanied him to the school parking lot to let the police search inside her car. Officer Shaver said Kelly began crying hysterically when he pulled a large bag of marijuana, a bag of Percocet and a bag of Vicodin from the pocket behind the driver's seat and put them on the roof of her car. He also noted it was very odd for anyone to hide their drugs in such an obvious position rather than in the glove box or under the seat or anywhere else for that matter. Kelly told ABC News, They put it on top of the police car for everybody to see, which was really hard because I kept thinking, my daughter's getting out any minute. And I'm just thinking the whole world is looking at this right now. No one's ever going to get this image out of their head. I said, please put the drugs away. You're going to find out they're not mine and you're going to ruin my life anyway. Officer Shaver could have arrested Kelly on the spot as possessing marijuana on school grounds was a misdemeanor and having Vicodin and Percocet without a prescription was a felony. But his spidey senses were tingling. He knew something was off, so he just kept asking questions. He interviewed school administrators who confirmed that Kelly had arrived at around 12.40pm. This meant the caller, who claimed to have just seen her at 1.15pm, had waited 35 minutes to phone the police, which didn't make sense. Shaver tried ringing the number the caller had given, but of course it was fake. Kelly was given a sobriety test, which she passed. When Officer Shaver asked her if there was anyone she knew who might go to this extent to frame her, Jill Easter's name came to mind. The police searched Kelly's house and conducted DNA tests on her and her family. The results showed no evidence of the Peters family's DNA on the drugs found in Kelly's car. The stress took its toll on Kelly. Her hair began falling out and her daughter was bullied at school. It was probably pretty stressful for the Easter's son too. I doubt this crazy nonsense went unnoticed by him or his classmates. Rather than charge Kelly with drug possession as the Easters had planned, the police instead opened an investigation into the drug planting. They traced the call made to the police to a hotel business centre in Newport Beach. Coincidentally, it was right next door to the law firm Kent Easter worked for. They watched the hotel surveillance footage from the date and time the 911 call was made and saw Kent walking into the hotel. Police also discovered that the drugs found in Kelly's car had Kent and Jill's DNA on them. By now, the authorities knew that the drugs were planted by the Easters, but they needed more evidence, so they put them both under police surveillance. This was when they discovered that picture-perfect housewife Jill was having an affair. She'd been banging married firefighter Glenn Gomez for over two years. When the kids were at school and her husband was at work, Jill would sneak Glenn into the house for secret sexy time. They kept the cheetah magic alive by sending each other sexy pictures and explicit messages. She called him her sex ninja, Pappy, and Mr. Delicious. He called her his sex goddess, baby girl, and Mrs. Delicious. Yum! 
Detectives busted Glenn leaving the Easter's house one afternoon after sexy time and brought him in for questioning. They convinced him to wear a wire and try to get Jill to talk about planting the drugs on Kelly. Glenn gave it a red-hot go, but she did not play along, preferring to manipulatively dodge his inquiries while turning the poor me act up to 11. Jill and Glenn broke up soon afterwards, and he told the police she went crazy. According to the LA Times, she showed up at her former sex ninja's house and told his wife about the affair, bringing receipts in the form of emails, messages and pictures. As the investigation dragged on for over a year, some of the detectives decided to read Jill's self-published novel, hoping to find some kind of clue about what had caused her to go so far off the deep end. The book was called Holding House, written under Jill's pen name, Ava Bjork. The LA Times stated the protagonist of the book was a patient woman with a formidable intelligence who had studied law at Berkeley, just like Jill. She was alluring to men, but unlucky in love. When wronged, the heroine burned for revenge and applied her patient, formidable intelligence to the task of exacting it. The book proved not to be particularly helpful to the case. I guess the detectives realised it wasn't very autobiographical when the protagonist's formidable intelligence was mentioned. My favourite Amazon review of the book says, Someone planted a copy of this book in my car. Luckily, no one believed I was dumb enough to buy this terrible book, and my friends are looking for the culprit as I type. (laughs) It actually has mostly bad reviews, and a lot of them reference this case. So, you know, it it did no favours to Jill's writing career to go nuts and try to ruin someone's life, surprisingly. One of the issues stalling the case from going to court was that the prosecutor's office had to battle for access to the Easter's smartphones because their contents were shielded by attorney privileges and there were the spousal privileges to consider as well. In June 2012, the police arrested the Easter's and charged them with conspiracy to procure false arrest, false imprisonment and conspiracy to falsely report a crime. They were quickly out on bail, but due to the ridiculous nature of the case, their mugshots were all over the news. Kent Easter's law firm wanted to distance themselves from their shit show, so they fired him from his $400,000 a year job. In 2013, Jill Easter pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 120 days in jail, but she wound up serving less than half that. She was also disbarred. Kent Easter decided to try his luck with a jury and pleaded not guilty. In court, Kent's attorney tried to blame Jill for planting the drugs. They also made out that he was a spineless puppet under the control of his overbearing wife and everything he did was her bidding. It struck a chord with one juror, causing the case to end in a mistrial. He was not so lucky the second time around. On September 10, 2014, Kent Easter was found guilty and was sentenced to 180 days in jail, but he only served 87. He was also suspended from practicing law for five years. Oh, and the Easters divorced during Kent's second trial. In 2016, Kelly Peters won a civil suit against Kent and Jill Easter, who had changed her name to Ava Everhart. They were ordered to pay her $5.7 million. The slimy fuckers promptly filed for bankruptcy, hoping to avoid paying her anything. 
Speaking to the OC Register after the ruling, Kelly said, I think saying sorry goes a long way. It would have gone a long way with me in the beginning. I wouldn't have gone this far had they just said they were sorry. This was really not about money. This was about standing up to people that pick on other people and telling them that it's not okay to do this. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When the police arrived at the scene of a car crash in Aberdeen, Scotland, they saw 28-year-old Stuart Cook standing next to a vehicle talking to another driver. As the officers approached him, they noticed that he smelled strongly of marijuana. They searched Cook and his vehicle and found a small amount of dope. The police arrested Cook and said he became irate when he was handcuffed and began shouting at officers. As he was being driven to the station, he screamed expletives and puffed out his chest towards the officers. That'll show them. At the station, he was strip-searched and told to bend over. What he did next made the police wish they could go back in time to the moment when all they could smell on him was drugs. The court was later told he then deliberately farted in the direction of the officer three times, stating, How do you like that? <laughs> Cook pleaded guilty to behaving in a threatening or abusive manner. He also pleaded guilty to making a lewd remark towards police and intentionally flatulating in their general direction. His defense solicitor said, he had been smoking a cannabis joint at the time and felt police overreacted in the way they dealt with him. He became increasingly upset with them and acted in the manner libeled. Sheriff Ian Wallace ordered Cook to carry out 75 hours of unpaid work for the calculated bottom burps. He was also given a caution for possessing cannabis. One Baker 7, we have a 431 at 1st and Alameda, code 3. To finish up, I have a few punchline crimes for you. These are cases with hardly any information available, and they sound more like jokes than something that actually happened. In October 2008, Swedish police attempted to pull over a woman who was driving erratically. They alleged that her vehicle was swerving across all the lanes on the road. The woman refused to pull over and instead led the police on a haphazard chase for nearly two miles. When the cops finally got her to stop, they took her into custody on drunk driving charges. Although the woman admitted that she'd been drinking, she told the cops she was still good to be behind the wheel as she had been driving with one eye closed to avoid seeing double. <laughs> her blood alcohol level proved she was indeed too drunk to drive and she was later found guilty of driving under the influence. Lincoln Avenue, call, I'm checking. 
A teenage burglar in the German town of Hildesheim left police an unusually helpful clue while trying to steal a computer from an office building. After breaking a window to gain entry to the office, the would-be robber accidentally sliced off the tip of his finger on broken glass. No doubt in a state of panic when he started bleeding everywhere, the burglar scampered off, leaving his fingertip behind. The police easily matched the print on the fingertip to one on their records and brought a 15-year-old boy in for questioning. He initially denied any involvement in the crime, but his missing fingertip was a dead giveaway. A spokesman for the Hildesheim police said, We usually find fingerprints at a crime scene, but it's not every day that thieves leave the original there too. According to the City of Preston News Network, in December 2021, 31-year-old bird lover Clarence Dawson went to a St. Anne's Beach in England for a little rest and relaxation. He sat down naked on the sand and covered his penis in hot chips in the hope that the seagulls would come and peck at his dick. One disgusted witness said, He just sat there with his cock out. At least it was on the flop and not hard. Then he started cooing at the gulls as he rubbed chips on his knob. (laughs) Soon afterwards, the police rocked up and took him away. This wasn't Dawson's first pants-down bird-related run-in with the police. He has a previous conviction for masturbating in front of pigeons at Preston Flag Market in 2018. (laughs) Masturbating in front of pigeons. (laughs) uh, That's a new one. This brings me to the end of the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe if you want to stay up to date with all future episodes. And if you liked what you heard, please leave a review. If you'd like to support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, monthly bonus episodes and a variety of merchandise, head on over to patreon.com forward slash world's dumbest criminals. If you want more dumb criminals in your life, you can join our World's Dumbest Criminals podcast Facebook group or follow us on Twitter at WD Criminals Pod and Instagram at World's Dumbest Criminals Podcast. Thanks to Danny and Paul for giving me some case suggestions that I used in this episode. Till next time, look after yourself, stay out of trouble, and whatever you do, don't commit a crime that makes you end up on this podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.